What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And Kyle, we have another special episode this week. Um, we did an episode with Dr. Chris Travers, our homie, our friend, uh, talking about friendships as, an, as adults. And that was a, a great experience. You can go back on the podcast feed and check that out anytime. Um, but we're going to continue that friendship series with another friend of ours. Um, and so I want to introduce Dr. Derek Tillman Kelly. Uh, Derek, welcome to Black Men Unlearning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Derek, you um we were we were talking about introducing ourselves. We we work in academia, we actually work in the same unit, but um we we were talking some time ago about introducing ourselves, and you pointed out this this thing to me that we get into a habit of introducing ourselves with what we do rather than who we are. So I'm gonna give you space to introduce yourself with with that as the context. You know, it's always easier to do that <laughs> when you you tell yourself you're gonna do it. Uh, but if I were to introduce myself, I am an educator, an administrator. I'm an uncle of 12. The 12 is important. Um, I am also now officially a great uncle. Ooh. Yep. Bad. Um, officially old is what it felt like. Um, I'm lots of things, right? Like I'm a, I'm a brother to four older siblings. They're all older because I'm the youngest. Um I'm, I, I think I'm lots of things. Um, I'm also intentionally proud and excited to be a Black queer man um, who has lived more than 30 years. Amen. More than 30, which, you know, that'd be different in Black spaces sometimes. Um, and then other things will probably come out, and I'm good with that, too. For sure. So, yeah, today we want to talk about friendships between straight and queer black men because i think that that context is something that has been specific to our individual friendships but um has also been um probably a point that i don't think has i've i've heard people speak about though i think for all of us we've had uh experiences that have shaped our outlook shaped how we've had to move through the world yeah, yeah, I would. I would absolutely. Oh no! Please. No, please, please, God. No, I was. I was gonna, just going to say. I think one of the things that's been meaningful and valuable for me over time is how my relationships, broadly, but particularly my relationships with queer black men, have been a testament to the ways that we are, we're navigating like a shared set of circumstances around what it is to be black men in this world uh, and the ways that this world is often trying to prescribe for us what that means or what is possible there. Uh, and often is just telling us what cannot be or what should not be. Yeah, no, I think I think that's interesting. I'm actually glad you spoke first. Um, <laughs> because I think growing up, I always saw found myself searching for black queer friendships. Um, and it sort of meant that I never really thought about what it meant to be in relationship with straight folk. Um, not that I wasn't in relationship with them, but like I didn't 
investigate what it meant to have that be a healthy whole relationship. And by default, I think it ended up meaning that it was with straight black women um, more often than it was like deep relationships with straight black men. Was there a particular aspect of those types of relationships that felt maybe either unsafe or difficult to forge? Um, what what's what was your experience? I think first growing up and being a young man, but then thinking about uh, yourself in your adulthood. Yeah, I, so I think part of it was that it felt unsure. Um, Right. So I grew up in Chicago, but my family's from the South, especially Louisiana. Um, and I can remember family and their language suggesting that it wasn't OK. They they honored and engaged in relationship with the people. But there was always this extra tone or sentiment um, that sort of gave me pause. Uh, right. So like I can remember them talking about my mother's first cousin and they didn't write queer wasn't the language of us, um, but they would be like, he has sugar in his tank or um, other ways of sort of articulating queerness that I was like, hmm, because what does that mean, right? Like, is it the way he walks? Is it the way he talks? Is it the way he moves? Or was it deeper than that? And I will be honest, as a kid who understood and articulated externally in third grade that I liked boys at school and so, like accidentally, but it happened nonetheless and I stood by it. Um, I was like, I don't understand exactly why that is or isn't. And so I think having family sort of articulated while the people existed in the space, they certainly were around, but having the tone and language used to articulate or describe them in ways that had to always be above and beyond the way we talked about everybody else didn't make it exactly exciting um, to be in the category. It didn't make it certain that I would be treated the same way. Um, and I think certainly, I think my siblings and cousins felt different than my mother's siblings and cousins, right? Like there was enough of an age gap between us but I just sort of assumed that if if the older folk were talking about it, right, and they weren't so old, they were my grandparents, they were my parents' age. Nah, I'm good, right? Like, I'm good. And so, and then I remember growing up, I spent most of my time in the kitchen because I liked to bake and I spent it with my grandmother. And then they realized I was good at it. So I got invited back. And I was the youngest, but I felt like I was the most mature of my siblings. So I was also in adult conversations. I was silly and liked the idea of taxes. So I helped my parents, right? So like I spent more time with adults. So then I heard more adult conversation. And so then it was like, I really don't want to experience the, 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 the ways in which you will articulate being queer or gay or sweet um, or whatever other word you wanted to use to describe somebody who was different because of sexual attraction um, or like intimate attraction. Cause I don't, as, as a 12 year old, I don't think I was thinking about sex. I was thinking about like the people that I want to be with and like who I might want to grow relationship with um, 
and I guess that's probably had to come at some point, maybe, I don't know. Um, but like, that wasn't the, that wasn't the the thing for me, but it was clear that they talked about those family members differently. Do you, you particularly drawing this attention to the language that um, shapes these worlds and communities and families of origin for us. It occurs to me just how things were being coded from an early age in ways that weren't immediately obvious to me then, but now looking back seems so blatant. <laughs> and I think growing up, and for me as a preacher's kid, there was this other layer to how a kind of Christianized or black churched community also dealt with these things because often the, la the language and the, the sort of suspicion, right, of anything that could register as queer, as not straight, as not heterosexual, um, it was also reflective of a general, I think, resistance to certain kinds of intimacy or pleasure, uh, e even amongst like straight folks. So it was like, we don't even know how to deal with or name or talk about what we feel, what we want, we desire. And so naturally the kind of policing that goes on around like what other folks should or shouldn't be doing, only it's like escalated. And to me, it seems representative of, cause I think we see this in a broader broader world and culture. Like, so the, the example that comes to mind for me, you know, historically, is the way that like, and I'm thinking about this because I was talking about this in class with my students the other week. Um, we're talking about um, like post, post Civil War, Reconstruction, Black folk are starting to gain a sort of social foothold and the the clap back, the, the white backlash is real, both like at the governmental level, but also on the level of this kind of racial violence. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't enough to just keep you in your place. It was like, no, we got to make examples of people. We have to be like that much more violent. And so like I was sharing with them like, yo, X number of lynchings were happening to black folk over this period of time. And so when I think about like these material ways that in order to rep to preserve or in order to forcibly like return to an imagined sense of normalcy, we will do violent things in order to maintain what is normal. And like in sort of subtle everyday ways, there, there comes a kind of uh, violence in the use of language, uh, violence in, in terms of kinds of, you know, social separation or shunning or denigration, particularly along these lines of uh, gender and sexuality and like the intersection of that. Cause to me, it feels like on some level, there was also this tacit acknowledgement that, oh, part of the problem is not even just like the queerness itself, but what it represents as a failure to fulfill the right way to be a man, be a woman, be a human being. Which I will say the one thing that's sort of interesting as you were talking, I also realized that all of the queer family members none of them lived in Chicago or Bogalusa, right? None of which, like my family origin is Bogalusa, but like my mother, her siblings, her parents, my, her, her parents' first her siblings and first cousins all lived in Chicago. The queer ones always left. 
And as a kid, right, like in my mind, same reason I left, I left for school, but I also didn't return. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that I wouldn't return, but like outside of like having a queer sister who is there, none of my queer family live proximally to family. And my sister is unique, right? Because she's more masculine and aesthetic, quote unquote, the stuff, right? So like the ways in which we engage them, the ways in which we fantasize about the women that she dates, they fantasize, I don't, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, but like, as you talked about the the consequence of the ways families imposed, right, the the sentiment, I don't know if they chose to not be there or if they, right, like it made their lives easier um, or freer to be full by not being there. And I, I have some questions to raise to my own family. Um, yep. Word. And I, I think it points to how much thought we we provide to the structure of things. Like, do we notice the experiences of the folks around us and how we make them feel when they share space with us? And so when I think back to high school and, and particularly undergrad, as I'm making this transition into being an adult, into being a man, um, and how homosexuality is popularly discussed in our music, in our television, right? Like colloquially in our families, how we treat people um, who are openly queer. I, I can remember there being an inherent, not I shouldn't say inherent, I don't think it was inherent, but a learned uh, wariness or fear around someone who uh, doesn't uh, practice a, a heteronormative way of living, so doesn't easily fit into one of the, the two genders or is moving in a direction that I think today I would use uh, the, uh, the term trans, a trans person. Uh, but then I, if I use the term, it wasn't a good one. Uh, and so when I think about how that would reinforce um, these kind of awful realities for people that in any other context, I'm, I might say I cared about and loved. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to go back and contend with. So I think about my undergraduate uh, chapter of, of my fraternity and thinking about having queer brothers in that chapter and remembering a night when one of our frat brothers came out to us. How much trust he had to have for us to be able to share that with us. But then I also distinctly remember thinking about the types of jokes that I told, the types of things that I said at the time, and really seeing like this significant disconnect between the trust that he had afforded us and what I felt like I had proven to him I was worthy of. And like thinking about that disconnect is part of what started my path on, on really uninstalling some really awful ways of being and thinking and, and doing. Um, it's difficult for me to, 
I, I think so much about the path that we take is connected to things that are, are they're circumstantial, that are not necessarily within our control. It's hard for me to understand when folks have not engaged with how awful it must feel to be other, particularly as Black folks. We know what that's like to feel like we have to apologize for our presence or that people are making like a little snide comment that is particularly pointing to this part that only we particularly identify with and how damaging that experience is. And in, in, in the little things, it was pervasive. We were talking that was as we were preparing for the episode about the boondocks and particularly Riley Freeman's character. And if you get into the satire of the boondocks, then you understand that his aversion for all things homosexual is reflected as a as a as a long form joke because of how the the type of hijinks that his character ends up getting into and who he finds himself in deep association with so it's 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 this long joke but that's not we weren't laughing at that we were laughing at something that was familiar to us our rejection of homosexuality and today with the benefit of wisdom and hindsight I can see just how awful that was and how particularly for me, recognizing that I was not a safe space for people, that my comments, my jokes, my uh, the, the words that I used, the things that I espoused as, as my well-formed opinions were unsafe and how that realization made it untenable for me um, and, and how all of that uh, experience is the reason why uh, is a is a big reason why we are friends today, and we are able to have a deep level of friendship. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, I, part of me will say I think there's probably more grace and flexibility in the ways in which we receive the comments, um, or like the jokes that have happened around us. Um, but certainly, I think it, they, they matter. Um, and, and they matter to the ways in which we share, right? So your use of trust, I mean, I'll be honest, your commentary of it was a group of y'all that your fraternity brother shared with. I don't know if that would have been my truth um, in undergrad in the same way. Um, I also will say, I, I wonder, the coming out language has always been interesting to me. Uh, I don't ascribe to it mostly because I think um, coming out for white folk um, and I mean it the way I mean it because I think it's sort of a badge of honor that they end up wearing on their sleeve right like the, the queerness whereas like I feel like when black folks deal with queerness Darnell Moore would say that it's an inviting in and that's cool right because it really is there's a trust built up that we then are willing to share that part of us that could be rejected, um, which I think makes it slightly different than like race, because for most of us, our blackness is seen ahead of time. Um, and so people can make decisions where we don't ever interact with them. For lots of us, I think our queerness can be seen, right? Particularly in 2024, where folks have made more intentional decisions about the ways in which they show up in their queerness, but I think there for lots of folks, queerness can be um, intentionally masked. 
um, way, right, in ways that I actually get to choose the extent to which you understand it. And I think there's a difference between you understanding that I'm queer and you then understanding that I am in queer relationship with somebody else, right? Because I am more than happy for folks to know that I am queer. I'm not necessarily always going to be willing to volunteer my relationship status mm -hmm. with folks because I think that's a different level of intimacy. Um, and, right, people then have, uh, as a queer man, I've gotten lots of questions about the sex part of queerness. Um, that, like, if you learn that I'm queer, then it's, am I top, bottom, or verse? Am I, and I'm like, I'm unclear why that matters to you or how that helps you understand anything about me, right? But so then if you see who I'm dating, people will make assumptions about the sexual roles that we play. And I'm like, you'd probably be surprised. Um, but I think about that a lot because I think there's there are two, there's at least levels to that um, in ways I'm like, mm-mm. Um, but I, 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 I don't want to undermine your point at one, right. That our language shapes the ways in which people will be able to connect with us, um, or the ways in which people feel like they can have the depth of that connection, right. Cause we can be surface level cool all day. Um, but that might mean that you don't get to see any of the important moments of my life, um, because it's, we surface. I see you when I see you, I speak when I see you, but like I'm not doing or sharing life with you in that way. And I think that becomes the missed moment, the missed opportunity, the the missed um intimacy, right? Like like the 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 beauty of the intimacy that is friendship. Um I want you to know, I don't want you to know everything. I don't want anybody to know everything. Like, but I, I want you to know most things. Um, and I want you to be able to like rejoice and mourn and all the things um, that come with what I hope is like deep friendship. Yeah, I want to I want to sit with the piece you mentioned here, specifically about the ways people's curiosities function <laughs> around <clears throat> queerness and and ultimately right everything that attends to that. Because folk be wild, right? <laughs> like the kinds of questions people ask when they presume that like their curiosity is a thing, it's other people's job to satisfy. Um, and like, I, I think about how, and here, you know, when, at, the, at the risk of uh, <laughs> going too academic, but we're gonna go there anyway. I'm thinking about uh, one of my one of my dear teachers, Hortense Spillers at Vanderbilt, who um, uh, coins this term um, about a pornotroping or pornotropic, and this idea of how we reduce mm -hmm. others to merely flesh. We reduce them to objects for consumption, objects for like fulfilling our pleasure. In in any sense, right? Like we make them into something less than like levelly human. And what, what like has become clearer for me through the relationships with queer folk in my life. And I think they've been very good, right? About the ways that they name and like remind that like our relationship to one another, our connection to each other. And this is, once again, should be a fundamentally human thing, but we often have to name it in these specific ways. 
that it should be fundamentally about like relationship is a kind of reciprocity that um is not about being extractive not about being coercive but is also but is ultimately about how the growth of intimacy and trust over time then shapes the way our relationship looks shapes the way we share things shapes the way like we become more intimately kind of braided into each other's lives but like there's this way that if we treat people as just kind of like curiosity it's a, it, it becomes a, a mode of holding them at a distance of saying like i'm here to like observe you and and what it what it boils down to sometimes for me is it feels like because you you know how it feels when somebody it seems like somebody's just trying to clock you trying to like see like mm, what you on what you about what you doing who you doing it with where y'all doing it and Where it's like that's a <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and so like man like i'm i'm thinking about how like the and i'm very clear about because I, I will say i will say this too and i'm past this mic i'm very clear about how it is also not the responsibility of my queer friends to sort of educate me into an understanding about things that like listen as friends we all like are teachers of each other like we we share things we help each other to grow and develop but this ain't like a thing where it's like because i because also that comes becomes reductive if we start to think of people as merely you're just a representative figure or avatar for a whole host of people. It's like how I feel when somebody asks me like, well, you know, as a resident like black person, what do you think about this? And it's like, I know what I think. <laughs> I don't know what black folk think, right? In, a, in these broad like strokes. And so like, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm wanting to just kind of think about how our relationships, right? If they're going to be healthy and meaningful also have to be reflective of a kind of give and take that's not about like figuring each other out, but it's about like, I think the ongoing process of re-encountering each other every day. <laughs> if, if I may, I, I just feel it needs to be said. Mm -hmm. I don't see the particular difference between asking somebody if they're a top, bottom or verse and asking someone else, hey, which sexual positions do you prefer? Do you, how, what's the difference between those two questions? When would you ever ask the second one? And if you would never ask the second one, why would you ever ask the first? What's wrong with you? The short answer is a lot of things. <laughs> what? Um, what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, so... There is a kind of, mm, I guess, sometimes it's a naive ignorance and sometimes it's a willfully ignorant. For sure. Um, just like, like, I don't know, people get, people get weird about, even I think how they want to perform a kind of acceptance or progressiveness. Like, hey, let me show you how like accepting and welcoming I am by like asking you ridiculously intrusive things that, Mm, maybe now it just sounds like you fishing for information. Hey yo, because right because because like it's it's fodder for some interesting reflection or conversation elsewhere. 
And I just, yep. I don't know. They're like, it just seems there are particular ways that that seems to happen around how a lot of straight folk are trying to reckon with queerness when it's like, well, how do you actually just like build relationship with people? Like, yeah, fundamentally. And I will say, I think there are times where people are like, I know the language. Cool. That's like the people who know social justice language. Thank you for learning new words. Welcome to the club. But I think I one of the things, because I actually think at times it can be quite intentionally violent, um, right? So like, you're a bottom, that makes you feminine, that okay. makes you submissive, that makes you, like, lots of words that, that keep you further and further from, quote unquote, masculinity. And I'm like, what you don't understand is you can find a, a Black queer man who is out in six-inch heels, the, right all of it and they will still be a top like it 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 is not mutually exclusive uh and i think we all know the way that one shows up in the world is not always the way one shows up in the bedroom or wherever else sex happens right like fine um and, but there are times where i'm just like and it's usually not the people like if if one of y'all were to ask me that question today Cool, we could talk about it. We wouldn't talk about it on this, but we could talk about it. <laughs> but it's usually the people that you don't know well and who clearly don't know queer people. That part. And 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 can we just can this is like interactive moment of black men unlearning with the listener. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear how if you just remove the queer and maybe place in black person and how that sentence still function in, in the same like awful way how the ism is right there do you hear it and i just need for us to do enough self-reflection to recognize that these things that we have been taught in how to read each other and how to position each other in terms of uh, a varying amount of power how i feel like i can kick it with another person based on what i see and what i'm able to interpret for myself it's all white supremacy in different shades. Like we're, we're all talking about the same thing. And so when you are moving through the world in this way, how are you any different from those folks if you are a part of a, an oppressed group who, who are the authors of your own oppression, who do the things that you can't stand? How does this differ in any way? And I realize like sometimes when we think about these things, what can be difficult for us is the ways that this reflects a need for change in different areas in our lives. Like what, what, what a lot of us are bucking against is the breakdown and the consistency. It's the work we then have to do if this thing no longer makes sense. And it'd be like that sometimes. You, you don't get to opt out because the danger of that is you are consistently finding ways that make you more comfortable, but reduce other people's freedom. And minimize their humanity in in uh, service of your own at least expectations of what your freedom can be can i say one other thing you ask enough questions i'm going to assume that it is no longer curiosity well it's curiosity but it's not like curiosity it's like i'm unsure if i'm actually straight and we can have a different conversation if you just say that to me 
right? Like that's a different, because right, if you ask enough questions, at some point I'm wondering if you are more actively thinking about queerness or same-sex attraction than you have been willing to say outside of this moment. And if that's true, cool. It would be less awkward if you told me or any of your other queer friends, right? Like it'd be less awkward if you just said, actually, I'm curious because I am sexually curious, not because I think that I can be a voyager, like right voyeur over your life because we don't want those. Well, that's not true. Some people do, I don't. <laughs> yeah, so I'm so what you're what you're bringing to the surface for me is hmm, I think some reflection on how people through questioning are often betraying the stuff they're working out. Whether it's hmm, you know, I'm trying to come to terms myself with your queerness. Or, or I even think about the ways that like these conversations around uh, sex and sexuality have functioned even with say like straight women in my life and how it's been very clear to me that in certain like moments, like they were waiting on me to say or to perform a certain thing that communicated to them unequivocal heterosexuality. It's like, mm, let me make sure you a straight man. And right, like the the need for often for the to, for there to have not been any kind of uh shall we say fluid histories. And how like those those questions then become about like a desire to fix into place a certain ideal of masculinity, of heterosexuality, uh, because like, right, that might just be like, okay, I desire a person who fits into this paradigm. But um, uh, but what it but what it also like betrays is this kind of, and that gets to be a complicated thing, right? Like the the fears and anxieties coupled with desires around like like how do we idealize at times what we desire? How do we at times complicate our own sense of acceptance for what we desire? And how sometimes, you know, is our attempt to kind of like police or govern or I guess kind of have like a knowledgeable authority over other people's intimacies. Also a part then like of how we just betray like, you know, the call is coming from inside the house. Like you maybe need to like face a deal with like, What's your anxiety? What is your concern about the way like folk move or operate presently or historically? And like, why now are you struggling to like maybe put things in the sort of like clear and unmitigated language? Like, like ask the questions you really need to ask and really need to know rather than the stuff that just feels like titillating or you know, it's just kind of like digging for information. Amen. <laughs> Derek, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, particularly your experience, what you've observed about queer men in church, or perhaps just queer people in church in general, um, and the 
um, either kind of moving towards more the academic side and, and, and moving away or kind of grin and bear it kind of situation where you just deal with the things. But I imagine you find yourself in that third category, the one where you're operating more in the middle, in the margins. What is what has that experience been like for you? And what's uh, what's been I mean, I could ask you what's been challenging about it, but I, I think what what has kept you on that journey? Yeah, so definitely in the middle. Uh, uh, I think part of it has been. I don't care enough about what other people think. Um, and so like, there's some freedom in that, right? Like, I don't go to church. That's not true. I don't go to church exclusively for community. Um, and I've been fortunate. Community tends to find me at church. Um, and it's a nice, interesting group of humans um, and all the dimensions of that. But I, But I do think earlier, particularly in my Columbus experience, I think I've been fortunate that I have had a church experience that rarely explicitly negatively talked about homosexuality. Um, not to say that it hasn't lived in church spaces. In fact, most of the time since being in Columbus that it's lived in those church spaces have been when there have been guests who somehow missed the message. Um, right? Like they they believed that their foolishness was the, the lay of the land at the spaces in which I've worshiped. Um, but I, but I also am intentional, right? Like I, I think a lot about how people read me at church, um, mostly for other folks' sake, right? So I have lots of women friends and for a really long, really long time at the beginning of my time at my current church, I was, I learned that I was apparently in a relationship with three women at that church. And I was like, first off, if you know me well enough to know me, and you thought I was dating three people at the same place, I would hope you would pull me aside and have a conversation first. Second, if you know the women that y'all inferred, ain't no way. Ain't no way they would go for that. Like, th that's not true. Um, but that was an interesting moment because I was like, oh, <laughs> so not only do you not understand that I'm queer, you think I'm a hoe. Like, cool we we all off base um so that was part of it uh but I think the other part is right like I have also been fortunate that I've gotten to make space for queerness as a topic of not just preaching right because I think oftentimes people will preach their ideology around queerness from the pulpit but like in Sunday school making space where we can actually intently explicitly investigate one, what do you believe? Two, what does the Bible say? Does the thing that the Bible say actually support the thing that you've been taught to believe? And then three, if it doesn't, right? Like if you are now at a place of tension, what do you do with it and how do you make sense? And then how do you share that with other people? Because I think sometimes people will wrestle on their own and then they will resolve to be in this new space, but they don't invite anybody else into that space with them. And when you talk about like queer oppression in church, it's insufficient. Um, to be like, you know what? That thing I believe forever about scripture isn't what it says. And I'm not going to help anybody else come to understand or know it. 
Um, but I've been real fortunate to have space to create the opportunities for those conversations, right? A whole some a whole session, semester, term um, on the intersection of religion and queerness. Um, and a, a good enough group of folks to to think about it both from an academic and like spiritual perspective and like a human, because how does that standard approach to this um invite people to experience the love of Christ? Because if it doesn't, it probably isn't what you're believing it to be. And so like I think that's part of the reason I can be there, right? Like I've been given freedoms to explore. I also have been quite explicit, right? I'm not hiding my sexuality. I'm not announcing it either because I'm not trying to date y'all. Like, and so like I make space for that. Uh, but I also have never felt like the leadership of the church, um, whether knowing explicitly from me or like coming to know from me have changed the dynamics in which we engaged. And in the moments where I've heard people attempt to um, either denigrate me because they were like, he's gay. People have rejected that and spoken against it. Um, right. So explicitly saying that this is a space that you can be included in that want you to like be your full self um, without the need to be, you know, I can be everything but gay at church because that wouldn't work for me. Um, I hope it wouldn't work for anybody, but like it surely would not work for me because if there was someone to to bring to church, they should be able to come to church with me, right? Like, and if I'm not com if I'm not confident in that, I don't think I could be in that space long term. Yeah, there there is the church space. I think is so often for all of the good things it can offer, is also quite often a reflection of how unfree a lot of people are mm. and that what there may be at times right and, and i you know to be clear right like and i think for all of us in different ways we can name how church spaces and like the communities they're in have been meaningful to us have been beautiful for us and any human space i've been in has been a space with room for growth mm -hmm. um Cause what, cause what I think about too, right, is how, you know, anytime, right, someone, when people show up in a space with other folk, mm -hmm. the, 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 the sort of tendency and natural like inclination, well, I won't, I don't know if I'll call it natural, but I'll just say like a certain curiosity or like, how do we make sense of how a person is showing up in this space? What are the, what's, what's happening here? What is this about? And I think particularly in this, and I'm thinking, and Ed, Edward and I, we had a conversation about this a while back. Uh, there was, you know, cause the academic in me is like, okay, I like, I like research. I like data. I like consideration. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. when we talked about before, uh, there was um, one uh, academic article I've been reading about highlighting, like particularly those, the seven texts that are often used as what they, you know, what they call the clobber texts. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's how we're going to talk to you about why being gay is a problem, an abomination, every, you know, whatever name or iteration you want to put that under, right? And one of the things that becomes clear is 
a lot of folks just don't like to read. <laughs> and this is a particular uh, thing, you know, I believe within psychology, what's known as kind of the backfire effect that often the issue is not about introducing more evidence to people contrary to the thing they think and believe. Because what tends to happen is you introduce evidence of something and people more often than not double down on the thing that they feel, the thing they believe, the thing they hold to be true. And what it said, suggests to me is that like our held beliefs are not really about, it's not just about like evidence for a thing. It's about like deeply internalized feeling. It's about what do we feel is a loss or is out of control if everything is not as we assume it or presume it to be. And so I'm thinking too about how for any, for any person to have experienced a context in which they have to make decisions around how can I show up safely? How can I remain present? How can I be sure of like who is for me or who is like against me? We also understand that like within those kinds of spaces and even many times outside of them, right? We have to, you know, we create sort of pockets. We create community, community in ways that necessarily, right? If we're just talking about a divergence from what is considered normal, it's like, man, I'm like, historically, Black folk have been having to queer life and experience in so many ways, right? Let's, and like, like, cause we can even, and I think this is, this is, this is critical. One thing I think folk don't either just don't know or understand or like don't attend to is how, like, it's easy to assume, particularly when I think about the, the history of black folk in this nation, it's real easy for people to just assume that even like sort of normative categories of gender or sexuality were even like afforded to black folk as if like black folk were thought of as human. It's like, no, like black folk were flesh and property, chattel. Yes. And there's something like to that longer history and experience that I think shows up in the ways that many of our folk are reckoning with like just the notion, the idea of queers, even like the existence of it. Because I'm convinced, like, for some people, like, it's it's not even just about holding a thing at a distance. It's, like, the idea that, like, there is a kind of queer sociality or existence in the world mm -hmm. is an affront to them to, like, even know that that's there somewhere. And so, I mean, so I'm thinking about what you said about the ways that so many of your family members, uh, particularly your queer family members, like, not in Chicago, not in Bogalusa, um, and like what this, uh, even like this idea of like the kinds of kinship and friendship formed between like straight and queer black men says about, I think about the notion of chosen community. Like what does it mean to choose who's mm -hmm. gonna become your people rather than just defaulting to like who whoever's around? Yeah, I'm always perfect of Ken, uh, right? Like but, but it's helpful. Yeah. Um, it's it's helpful it yeah and I, I i will say i think um the beautiful part in it 
and the relation back to sort of your suggestion that people's when people's beliefs are challenged um that they sort of fall apart are are one and the same right like the moment that you have to question what you know about a family member about a belief it questions the ways in which you've built other information about them or right about our religion um and but i i think the the fun part though is right like i was taught that for beliefs you imagine them sitting in your hand right like they're they're in your hand you hold your hand close enough that you can grasp them but not so close that they can't be changed right like they can't experience the world around your hand um and i think the same thing is true with like family with fictive kin with the the whole point of relationship is growing to know you right so there are things i will learn about you that might challenge my understanding of you but for example right like if someone was by or poly or asexual what about that is so detrimental to my understanding of you right like i don't understand why um someone's sexuality should influence the ways in which for example i can deem you to be a man right like because you like other men i now struggle with the ways in which i upheld you to be a model of masculinity hmm. that means your model was fragile um right like and not fragile fragile can be bad not meant to be bad but right like it suggested that it was really maybe rather than fragile, uh, rigid. And so like you didn't create space for the broader picture. But I think the, the beauty in humanity is that like we are lots of things today. And those things weren't all of us yesterday and all of them won't go with us tomorrow, right? Like, I mean, it's sort of the beauty of the podcast, right? Like the, the whole point is that there are things I can let go along the way some I can intentionally drop. Um, and I think about it in relationship with others, right? Like, just like not every friendship goes forever. Um, not that they can't or shouldn't, but like that sometimes there's enough shift or difference in the relationship of the people that the best thing to do for them, like the 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 solid thing to do for them, the, the holy thing to do for them is to call them done. Um, and I think about that particularly in the queer spaces where like, if you learning that one dimension of me is so dramatically impacting of you, we might need some distance in that friendship um, so that I can be good and you can process whatever that was um, for you, right? Because I don't want it, like I, I don't want to be so flippant that like one sexuality doesn't matter in our life course or our understanding of ourselves or other people. But I also don't necessarily give people the space in this here era of my life to be like, that is so jarring for me that I don't believe that you are the same person I knew you to be anymore. Like, I, I can't. That's not my job for you. Right. Like, that's not I don't think that's my responsibility necessarily to help you through. I'm willing, depending on what your engagement or response is. But I don't think that it can be like you told me this one piece of information and now you are 180 degrees different, right? Like that feels unfair. Um, it feels, yeah, unfair.
And it feels questionable in terms of the logic of it. Because if 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 we are leading our relationships with love, then what is it that a person can can be inherently that makes them less human to us? Hmm. Like what it what is it that we believe about homosexuality in this case that makes that person seem like they're an entirely different person? And, and that's for me that it just it doesn't it doesn't add up. It it seems to essentially immediately decide that you are less human in your identifying as queer. And if that's the case, then what 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 things are you willing to take away from a person based on that? Like I'm I'm not willing to be in 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 friendship relationship with you anymore because this is what you've told me about yourself. And and like that's so take it a step further. Like, what is the underlying belief in that? This person is not good because of this part of their humanity. Well, what parts of your humanity can change uh, in inherently who you are and who you can be received to be? And why is it that there are these only these specific categories in which a person can exist where these things can be under threat for them, where they can be under threat of being less human? And what freedoms do we no longer afford to a person who identifies as queer? What associations do we not offer them? What love is not extended to them? Because that's really what it boils down to. Like you're saying that this person, because of this aspect of their human, their humanity, of their personhood, is not as worthy of freedom to move through the world peacefully and lovingly as you are. Mm -hmm. I there's there's just there's not really there's not another logical read for that. So for me, then, then what, what does that mean that you believe is possible for all humans and which things fall outside of the, the realm of what we are allowed to, uh, to, to take someone's human points away for and which ones don't? Because if I can do it because you identify as queer, why, why isn't there a justification for me doing it based on your skin color? Or 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 just the things that you enjoy doing, like where's the line? And that's this that's this thing. Like it's it, we we keep coming back to this as as part of the podcast. It's like either all of us are free or none of us are free. Mm -hmm. You you don't get to go in the in between of that. Like you need to decide which one of these things is uh, is 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 your is what you priority or what you, what you prioritize what you choose. Because moving through this world in other ways just justifies creating more limits for who gets to just be the fullness of themselves. Yes, but but I will say, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the ways that people articulate queerness and its consequence look like the way people articulate Blackness and its consequence, right? So Black men are predators. Being queer often gets labeled pedophile in ways that I was like 
dang, I, why, how? But I, right, like they, they tend to run parallel, which is why it's always confusing for me when black folks don't see the damage and like not allowing space for queerness because they actually use a lot of the same language. Man, and this, so I, I sit, I sit with this knowing just how, just how many people I like know and love very well subscribe to that very logic as a way of, you know, as a way of a boring queerness, as a way of disavowing, as a way of, um, you know, creating like a necessary distance to say like, well, you know, I love everybody, but, you know, it's just things that God, God don't allow or God don't. I just don't believe, you know, I I just believe it. And, and I'm like, I, you know, I've heard like every articulation of this. Um, and I think similarly for me, like there, and there just, just came a point in my own journey. And so much of this too, I think about how much easier it is to hold certain perspectives when you have adamantly and actively refused a kind of, um, genuine and meaningful intimacy with folk. Mm. And so like, when I think about like the, I don't, I don't believe like the functions of like, say my relationships, my friendships with queer black men have been, cause I'm not into that, you know, whole like, oh, you know, I just learned so much from you. Like that, that stuff, that's weird. Not, and I don't like when people do that to me about <laughs> however they perceive my minoritized position, right? Um, but like one of the things that I think about is that how the ways I've been able to build those relationships and cultivate them over time, when you get to know people as full and multifaceted human beings, you recognize that um, who we are is not a function of any one aspect that like we or the world choose to identify as the primary defining characteristic. And so, cause like, I would say like my, when I think about the, the black queer men in my life, I'm like, first of all, I'm not friends with them because they're queer. <laughs> cause like, let's keep it, but it's plenty of folk across the wide variety of, you know, the gender and sexuality spectrum spectra that I do not fool with for reasons that have specifically to do with them as people yep. and not because <laughs> of how they're identified, right? But like one of the things I do, I appreciate is how knowing these people as whole human beings of which, right, queerness is an aspect of that understanding of themselves. It's like you you start to it's like something sinks in and in, in the it's it's like a kind of coming back to yourself a remembrance that like on a fundamental level like what is it that we owe each other what is our responsibility to each other as human beings what are the ways we choose to like make life with each other that are not about 
performing a certain way or like fitting into a certain paradigm or stereotype, but it's like, Hey, these are my people. Like you, you, my, you, my folk, you, my kin, right? Like, and that to me, man, like as, as wild as this world is, I'm like, we need more of the kinds of foundational relationships that enable us to like show up fully, you know, that enable us to see each other like for real, for real, right? Not not just like have a, you know, I feel like every time, you know, with my friendships, it's like we're always meeting each other again. Mm-hmm. We're always relearning and expanding like on our understanding and even revising our understandings of each other. Um, and I And I think at the very least, the ways that like those people in my life, particularly those queer men in my life have, giving me insight into their practices of meaning making and life making. It was like, man, you know, other ways are possible, but like, you gotta be open to mm-hmm. actually meeting people as their whole selves and not just the piece you think you want to deal with. I will say, um, yeah. The, the, the interesting part was that part of that part of what you just said made me think about how I used to feel about black straight men. Um, That's, yeah, I mean it. So I used to feel sad for black straight men uh, because I always was like, dang, y'all police each other a whole hell of a lot. Um, And like in spaces where like it ain't even necessary. So right, like your friend's parent passes away. We are concerned about if we should be crying together. Why? How? How is that helpful to anybody? And why is that the first thing you should be thinking about? Versus like, I know that hurts. So we gonna share space and like let you experience the hurt in community. Or we're close enough friends that I knew enough of your parents that that hurts me too. Right? Like, and I was like, oh, this is weird. Um, Because I didn't have a better word. Uh, but it also was like sad because it was, there are spaces that I got to uh, to experience early in my life because I was already slightly outside of the quote unquote norm of black manhood or boyhood, depending on the, the period that I'm like, I'm, I am grateful that my queerness gave me access to that. Um, and I'm grateful that I am from a family of criers like of men, like black men who cry, right? My father cries, my brothers cry um, more oftentimes than the women in our lives. Um, But those two things together gave me lots of opportunity to, I think, fully experience like the the beauty of emotion, Um, like the the beauty of the fullness of emotion, right? Like the, all of the possible spaces you can experience it. and it, and so like, there was a point where, right, where I'm in one hand worried about how black straight men will experience me, right? If they will shun me um, because that makes them uncomfortable versus like the beauty and being able to experience more of that experience of life um, because I didn't have to care about people necessarily using my emotional response 
um, or my mannerisms um, or my word, like the, my spoken cadence to suggest something about me because in fact, that thing was me. Um, and like, you can't say it in a way that is harmful, right? Like you can't say you being very queer today or like that was, that's so gay, right? Like, I mean, we grew up in an era where that was like, that was the phrase. And I'm like, is it supposed to, like, I mean, I am. So like, if that's not harmful to me, but I do remember the folks who got ready to fight yeah, as a consequence of being called it. And I'm like, to live in a body and in a mind where that has to be offensive to me was like, that's hard. And for me, that was like uncomfortable. That was sad, like sorrow inducing. Um, and was I'm like, mm -mm. like th this is a gift for me. Uh, Cause I didn't have to, I didn't have to sit in that in that way. That, that, that has me in a whole space of, of, of thinking about our relationship with our emotions. And that's been a subject for us on this, uh, on this show previously, but you know, that, that enforced lack of connection with ourselves is, is particularly dangerous. Right. Um, I think it, it makes space for us to have our humanity separated from us and it facilitates our, uh, indoctrination as folks who would be separators of other people from their humanity. Um, and so I won't, I won't dive too deep in that. Cause I think that takes us in an entirely different direction. Uh, but Derek, I do want to ask you, um, the, the friendships that you have with, uh, straight men, like what are the characteristics of those friendships that are, um, that are particular to you? Like what are, um, the ways that those uh, relationships operate in your life that are particularly special or uh, impactful? Yeah, so I think uh, part of it is the the real ones, like the deep ones, all feel safe to me. Um, right, like I can be all versions of Derek. Um Right. So I can talk about like work. I can talk about family. I can talk about my desire for relationship, like partnership, um, the the long term, like maybe marriage kind of relationship. Uh, so like that's one, I think, part of it. I think the other is that those men tend to be really, really, really aware of themselves. Um, that they have done sufficient work to know who they are um, and not necessarily always comfortable with all dimensions of queerness, but like they know where they're at in that work. Um, it, it is not, I don't have to guess um, and I don't have to work, right? Like, I think that's part of what makes it safe. Um, I don't have to guess where they are. Uh, and, I, and I know our limits um, or our, our, the, the depths that we can go in any of those particular conversations. I also think that, <laughs> Many of them have a a, a a personhood that can be queered too, um, right? So like they are not sexually queer, um, but they are, that sounds so rude. They are kind um, in ways that people somehow read as queer. Um, they are often educated in ways that people can read, particularly for Black men, as queer. 
um, they they have connections and respect for women in weird ways that people believe the prototype of a super masculine man is not. Um, and those things are helpful to me, right? Because I, I, I don't want, I don't, I mean, I'm not opposed to friendships with folks who, yes, I am. I would say I'm not opposed to friendships with men who are like, <laughs> women are one way and men are other. Like, I, I can't really get in the gender role thing. Like, it's, it's tough to wrap my mind around. Uh, but like, I'm not saying that I would completely dismiss somebody who was there, as long as they understand that the world has lots of different opinions there and we can be there. Um, yeah. Mm. Yep. I also think that most of my friendships with straight black men involve folks who can take humor um, in all forms, right? So like me saying that's so gay isn't gonna be offensive to their masculinity or manhood. Um, also, it's sort of ironic. And I am intentional in that. Um, but I think I have found folks who are willing to accept that. Um, yeah. I, I think those are many of the things, like I'm trying to think about them, them in common, not just like, I'm trying to intentionally not think about any one of y'all. Um, but mm -hmm, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, generally, I you know, I I I love the safety part because, as I stated before, like that was in my own unlearning and figuring out how to move through the world in a way that wasn't destructive. Um, that was that was a big part of of just understanding that eh, this 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 ain't it this ain't what I want for myself and for the people whom I share community with. I want to to be able to create that. So, um, because I I know how important it is for me to feel safe and to feel seen and cared for in that manner. So, um, I'm I'm. That certainly uh, resonates with me as well as the ability to take a joke uh, because one thing we're going to do is get these jokes off. Uh -huh. Can I say one thing? Yeah. You know, one thing I think about when I think about safety, um, I don't want a friendship with a Black man that I cannot hug in, per in public. If we can't hug, we not friends. And I, and I, part of me didn't realize that that was important to me. But like, if you are hesitant to hug me in public, I actually know a lot more about how you think about me. Mm. No, man, you know, I mean, I think what, I, what, I'm, what I'm sitting with is the recognition that for all of us, it has been a journey to equip ourselves with the, with the knowledge, the tools, emotionally, materially, and otherwise, to really meet and encounter one another, like with, with real generosity, with real love, with real openness. Um, and the thing that I'm, I'm made most aware of is that, well, you know, you didn't get there overnight. <laughs> And I'm reminded of like where I started from. And 
there is, I mean, with the with a podcast title like Black Men Unlearning, there uh, we cannot help but have you know some measure of reflection on, you know, what have we what have we unlearned in order to make room to make space for other possibilities of social life, of relationship, of care and concern and community. Um, and I mean, I'm you know I'm grateful for it and. I'm grateful for even the hard lessons where I realized, okay, yeah, you know, you actually, you kind of raggedy here and you need to think about where that comes from and how are you going to show up better for people in the world who, who often like just need, they need to know that like, they are not out here being left to just kind of like wither. Like we we live, we thrive through our connections with each other, through like the meaningful relationships we build. And something in us dies when we are shut off from that um, or when we shut ourselves off from it, you know? And so to the extent that like to resist the tyranny of normalcy is to in some ways queer life like man like that's i think a space we gotta lean into with more more intention um with more with more thought um because it's you know because it ain't just social it's political too it's spiritual too um and so you know if if the if our goal in some imagined way is that like we will get to some place of liberation, some place of a wholeness outside of like the limitations or confines of this world as we see it now. And I'm like, man, you know, I want to imagine a future that includes all of us um, and that it, that embraces all of us. So, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm I'm feeling grateful for both like the depth and breadth of this conversation today. Um, and for the ways like it inflects this longer journey. Cause I'm like, yeah, this, this ain't a conversation I would have had at every point of my life, every point of my journey for a host of reasons. But, you know, I'm grateful that we're having it today and that, um, yeah, we, we are able to model and live out what it is for, uh, black men to be intentionally and openly caring and curious in healthy ways about our interiority, about uh, our lives and experiences. And what it looks like for us to love each other. Because like in, in all of this, it's, it's I, I love y'all. I want good things for you. And that means the fullness of you. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just those things that I can relate to. It means understanding and hearing and listening to and being curious about who you are, what's going on in your life, what you're aspiring to, and like being on that journey with you so that when the good things happen, I can celebrate with you. Or when the disappointments come, like I can mourn with you and I can lift you up. Like that's that's the work of of being someone's friend and being kind to them. And it doesn't have anything to do with like, well, I just shape and model your life the way I would see it. Like, where does that ever even function, right? So 
Nah, man, it's 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 that it's that this is how you love people. This is how you love your people. So, Derek, with that, you know, I we wanna wanna get you out of here, but we won't close before uh doing what has become our tradition. You are only our third guest here on Black Men Unlearning, but we're gonna do the same thing that we did with the other two and ask you, what in your life are you unlearning today? So I think there are two things because one of them is directly related to the conversation at hand. And then one of them's just like Derek needs to, to get it together. Um, and so that one is around like my belief and notions of like what significance in life is right. Um, it is not about my job. It is not about how much money I make. Um, it it is not about the things that come with like accolades or material possessions and i think it it's easy to to tell yourself you don't believe that and then when things don't exactly shape out the way you want realize that nah i still do um and so i am actively working there the other though um is around gender expression um and so I am someone who gets a manicure and a pedicure every four weeks. It's a it's a routine. Um, and my one, my I have the same nail tech and I go with a friend uh, every time. And the nail tech wants me to have colored nails. And part of me is like, it's just not my vibe, right? Like, I think I'm a relatively conservative presenting human. I nah, like I'm not interested. Uh, but the other part of me, though, is like, or is this me assessing the extent to which I am willing masculinity to go, right? Because would I date someone who had gel or dip powdered colored nails, right? I don't know. Um, and why don't I know? Because I, I, there is some aversion to it. Um, and so I am working through what one why th that sentiment and then two why does it matter so much um I don't imagine you're gonna see me with like black fingernails anytime soon um but like why does the color matter I mean I get clear coats right like it's still shiny um all of them still signal that your nails have been maintained by somebody else um but like there is some sentiment there for me uh, that I'm not yet fully comfortable with. Um, and right, like I'm good with people having that choice, um, but I do question why I can't do it or why I don't desire to do it or I have some reluctance to do it. Um, and then why I think about it when I think about the potential for partnership um, and like what I would sort of make of that person in that particular space. That's, I, I really appreciate you sharing that, man. Like, especially sharing something that is in process, like you are still in the midst of it. Um, I will, I will share. I've seen, I've seen the young boys come through with they, with their nails done. And I've been like, that's cool. I don't know that I could do that. And I haven't been in a similar position. of like, well, why, why couldn't you do that? What about that is not your not your thing, not your vibe? And and I will say, I think there's a difference between like, right, my nails are short. 
um and like color and then like the men who do the more elongated quote-unquote gaudy right because that's how i feel like the really long like i'm i don't know like i don't know <laughs> and but for me that's important i don't know why which means that i'm not yet there because i i need i need to at least be able to understand why i feel that way and it's like what <laughs> And like I have a re like a response to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Kyle, have you thought about getting some color, man? So that was so. What's interesting is when I think about the last time I went to get a manicure, because um, I too am a proponent of uh, you know good professional hand and foot care. Mm -hmm. um i what i what i remember specifically are the ways that um even sometimes you know the nail the nail techs are directing you in the way they think you ought to go which is like oh you a man so you ought to be getting done this way right that like no no suggestion of no polish no suggestion of no. it's like listen we already let you in here <laughs> to get you to get your little nails clipped and filed and buffed up like don't push it right so there's this is i mean so i think about how yes. like that that too there's like so many layers to like what's going on there because even like okay how are people reading you coming in here like to get this baddie and this petty or even referring to it as such right uh but man all that i have to say like shoot at the end of the day man I'm I'm not here to yuck nobody else's young. <laughs> um but I but but like I do think we learn like our feelings about things are such significant data about what's going on with us. And so you know, we'll 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 see. Maybe I'll uh, you know pop out with a little a little something, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Well, Derek, thank you so much for being a guest uh, and having this wonderful conversation with us. We appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. It, it was, it's been a good time. And with that, this concludes another episode of Black Men Unlearning. As always, we thank you for rocking with us on this journey. We're so grateful for our listeners. We do this every two weeks. We drop new episodes on Thursdays every two weeks. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts follow black men on learning rate and review share with the homies and you can also find us on instagram at black men on learning or you can email the show at black men on learning at gmail.com and yeah thanks y'all y'all take it easy peace